Years ago, I had a deacon who came into my office and he said, Pastor, I need to resign. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, he said, I have made some financial mistakes. And he said, I've not been paying my tithes. And, uh, and he said, and I've got a daughter that is living a very promiscuous lifestyle and she's at home and I can't bring her under control. And he said, I think I need to step down because I'm not fulfilling uh, the requirements of a, of a deacon. And I honored his thoughts and where he was. And, and, and to this day, I would like for you to know that he is uh, doing well and he's on track. And so is that daughter who is in church. Uh, they're all doing good. God is a good God, isn't he? Um, but he knew this. He knew that his household was not in order. And uh, that, that, that's what I, concerns me about today. <clears throat> many don't realize that their house is not in order. Uh, there are many that are really not managing their household. Uh, you need to get your house in order. Now, I know I don't always say the things that are popular, but I'm going to say the things that need to be said. All right, listen, if you're a, a husband, you have a role. You need to serve in your role. You are an umbrella over your house. You need to serve that in that position well. You need to, to be the spiritual beacon that shines in the right direction so that everybody underneath that knows exactly where you're taking your household. If, if you're a wife, you have a role to your husband. You have a role to your children. You need to find your place. I'm not trying to put you in your place, but you need to find where you're supposed to serve and how you're supposed to and do that for the glory and honor of God. And then with all of that, you need to understand that as a couple, you need to get serious about training up your children in the ways of the Lord. Children need to be managed. Now, I've got them over here, and they may not be excited about what they're about to hear because it's not what is the mentality of so many today. But listen, wherever you are, here, there, and yonder, children need to be managed. They need to be given direction. They need to be governed over. Today, parents are letting kids raise themselves. And all the teenagers said, nothing. You need to manage your children and your household. Uh, let me talk to you about managing. If you were in a managerial position, you would understand that you have certain responsibilities. One, you're supposed to see to it that they are, that whoever is underneath you is trained to do what they're supposed to do. All right? You train them. You don't just say, hey, whatever. You train them in what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to act, what is important. You set the expectations for them so that they know what are the goals that they should be pursuing. You create the atmosphere, and it should be a positive atmosphere so that they can blossom in it. You create accountability. Don't shout me down. <laughs> you acknowledge accomplishments. You pass out praise. Praise is cheap, folks. Pass it out a lot. But you got to get a, your, your, in your head as a parent that your kids are not adults yet. And I don't know what it is, but for some reason, it's like nowadays, we think that, you know, they, they get like 13, 14 years old, and they're like, well, they're just young adults. They're just little adults. 
No, they're not adults yet. They still need management. They need, still need oversight. They need accountability. I'm going to say some things, and you know, you, you don't have to agree with it. But you need to know where your kids are at all times. I mean, it's not like you're, 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 you're controlling everything, but you need to know where they are. Curfews are not bad words. Limitations, that's not a bad word. I will never forget, I came home from college, my first summer home from college. I'm 19-something years old. And I looked at my parents and I said, I'm going to go out with David. We're going to go to the bowling alley, bowl a little bit, shoot a little pool. Dad said, see you at 12. I was like, what? And he looked at me, and I'll never forget, he said, he said, same thing I told you were in your high school, I'm going to tell you again. He said, after 12 o'clock, there's not much going on. It's not mischief and bad. So by 12 o'clock, you should just go on home. 19 years old, I said, okay, Dad, I'll see you at 12. Of course, I didn't because he was asleep, but I was home by 12. Media. It used to be, when my kids were young, about 17, 16, 17, 18, they might get their first phone. Now kids are like nine years old. They got phones. Okay, can I tell you something? They're not mature enough to know what to do with that phone. And we have a, we have a, a huge problem that kids are into stuff they should not be into. And pornography is a real problem for teenagers. They need control in their media. You got to step up, mom and dad, and be the parent. You got to be the parent. You got to manage your household well. And you can if you step in and take a little bit more initiative in some of the areas where we have just said, yeah, I got good kids. I trust them. I trust them as far as I can throw them. No. I mean, I trust them, but you know what? That doesn't change. Just because you trust them doesn't mean you don't keep accountability. Doesn't mean you don't serve as a, over, as a watchdog over everything. That's your job. As a parent, that's what you do. And can I tell you something you may not agree with at all, but I think an occasional no is good for kids. We just, we turned into the yes parents. Okay. Okay. I'm going to see someone. Okay. I'm going to eat in my room. Okay. Every now and then you just need to look at them and say, no. Why? Because I don't think it's a good idea. No. Put up my next notes. Exposing our children to Christianity and spiritual truths is not the same as training them in it. I don't have any statistics. I'm telling you this from my heart, from the, what I know. And here it is. Pastor in 40 years, give or take. I can't tell you how many times I've had a parent look at me and say, well, Johnny, I'm just using Johnny because I don't know. Johnny, I, I, you know, is, is, is way out there. But they'll come back because I trained them up in the ways of the Lord. And after a little bit of questioning and stuff like that, I begin to find out, okay, so how did you train them, Johnny? And they say, I took Johnny to church. Folks, that is not training up your child in the ways of the Lord, taking them to church. Training up a child in the ways of the Lord 
is according to Old Testament, it's investing some in the morning and investing some in the evening. It's sitting down and talking to them. It's, it's, it's rising up and explaining things to them. It's helping them to understand the promises. It's helping them to grasp that they were created for a purpose, that God has a plan for their life, and that the fulfillment of their life is not that they became a doctor or a football player or whatever, but the fulfillment of their life is that they serve the purposes of God in their days. That's our job, parents. We've got to manage our household because if you don't, the devil will take it. He'll manage it for you. And he'll put the poison in there. And what I said in that meeting is what I, I want you. Listen, our kids, they are in the battle of their life and they don't even know. They don't even know the cost of what's going on. And we as parents who love Jesus with all of our heart have got to help them to understand why it is that this is worth everything. Every man and woman here, I, I would say this to you, you are a deacon or deaconess in training. And the qualifications that you read in there ought to become the things that you set as the goals that you want to try to accomplish and be in your own life. And, and the one thing that I would stress, I know a lot of you, the one thing I would really stress and say, you know, I, I'm sure you're doing good in this. I'm sure you're doing good in this. And I don't know. I mean, I'm going to tell you the young people that I got to be with last week were some amazing young people, okay? They worked hard. They were sincere. There was just a beautiful spirit of Christ about them. You're doing a good job. But you know what? Don't let up. They're not adults yet. Keep pouring into them, training them. <clears throat> my greatest success, and I say this, and I got family right over there. My greatest success is not that I will have pastored well. It's that I will have parented well. Because even though when we get to heaven, whew, it's going to be a it's going to be a full neighborhood, wouldn't it? But when we get to heaven, I hope we're all in the neighborhood. I want to go next door and borrow sugar from you. Okay, I hope we're all in the same neighborhood, and that'll be awesome. But here's what I really want you to understand: when I am in, in my latter days and I am in preparation to go and be before the Lord, what I want more than anything else in the whole wide world is to see that my children, my grandchildren, and my great grandchildren, if they're here by then, have all got that heart and passion to want to live for Jesus Christ. That they they see that their purpose in life is not to achieve this or that, but to be this or that in Christ Jesus. We've got to quit hoping they get it and train them up to get it. Make sure they got it. All right. That was the word the Lord put in my heart to speak today. I have spoken. I pray it finds good ground. So let's go back to the people, the actual deacons that are listed. First thing we see is Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then the list goes on. Uh, Stephen will be the subject matter when we get back after Resurrection Sunday. But for now, I just want you to notice this. Uh, he was distinguished a little more than the rest. Uh, he's the only one in which to actually add, you know, sort of clarify the character that stood out. And uh, what, is, what, did, what does it tell us? It says that, that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Two qualities that will always make you stand out. is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. If you're walking your life in the Spirit of God, and you are living out your faith. Those are qualities that will always make you stand out. And the beautiful part about it is both of those qualities are actually developable. You can develop them. 
if you want to be the man of God, the woman of God that God has called you to be, you got to grow your faith. You got to walk in the spirit. And in the notes right up here, look at that. We grow our faith by spending time in the word. We grow in the spirit by spending time in his presence. That's not the first time that's been up there. It's been up there before. But, it, you know, repetition is a good way to get things pounded into our heart and mind. Listen, we grow our faith by spending time in the word. If you don't spend time in the word, you're not building your faith because your faith is, is intricately attached to the word of God that's developing inside of you. All right? To the same degree, you can't, you can't grow in the spirit if you don't spend time in his presence. That's the only place you get that. It's not like, ooh, it's a spirit. Where are you? Come down here. No, you spend time with God and his spirit fills your life more and more and more so that you have and live according to his good and wise counsel. Got it? Those are those you can develop that if, if you want more faith, get get more word. And by word, I don't mean just reading it through, you know, like half asleep. I mean, study the word and you'll build your faith. If you want to walk in the spirit better, you want to you want to quit falling and, and faltering at all of the same places over and over and over. Well, spend more time in his presence. And he'll start filling up those potholes you keep tripping over. All right. Then there was Philip. We'll look more closely at him when we get to chapter 8. But he too distinguished himself more so than the others, it seemed like. But today, I want to focus your attention on Procurus, Nicanor, Tamon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. What do we know about these five guys? Oh, so somebody said they make a great hamburger. All right, I'll say it. They make a great hamburger. We don't really know anything about them. Do you know that the history of these Five guys is basically presumed. But I want you to consider some things that I believe we can attain by looking at the scripture and understanding a few things. First of all, Prochorus. Uh, that is a Greek name. He was probably part of the Hellenistic Jews. All right. So if you were with me a couple of weeks back, we talked about the traditional Jews. We talked about the Hellenistic Jews. Well, how better to bridge a gap than to reach across the aisle to somebody that thinks a little bit differently and invite them to be a part and to have a voice. Okay? So, Procurus, one of the Hellenistic Jews, right off the bat, we see that he is a part of this group. Then came the Kenner. His name means conqueror. That's all we know. Hopefully, he didn't go into the deacons' meetings with, I'm going to conquer this group. I don't think he did. And then Timon, uh, his name means honorable. Uh, he also was probably, because of his name, a Hellenistic Jew. So he had a lot of the Greek culture inside of him. I hope he lived up to his name, that he was honorable. What he brought in, I think so, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Then comes Parmenas. Um, his, his name means one who is, one who abides, one who is constant. And I'm hoping that's exactly what he brought to the group. Because, you know, every group, every church needs those constant people, those people that are the same every time you see them. So that they, what they bring in when they, when they come is that st stability. Hopefully that's what he brought. If you are serving in any capacity, so to deacons, to elders, Sunday school teachers, 
children's church, which they're up there so they wouldn't get this. But the, well, the first children's church, but any area that you serve, why don't you take the mentality? I'm going to be a parmenus to this group. I'm going to be stable, constant, and, and you can count on me. We need that. The body of Christ needs that. And then we have Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, the reference to being a proselyte means what? It means he was, uh, he was an unbeliever who became a Jew. And now he's become a Christian, right? Um, now, I, I wouldn't think too much about the fact that he's changing horses in the middle of the stream several times, except for the fact that, and I mentioned this once before, but, but history-wise, uh, Nicholas is, is given the person or is centered as the person who, whose ideology and teachings got off track and became the cult that in Revelations you read about when it talks about the Nicolaitans, right? And it talks about how that they were causing so much problem in the church. Well, it seems that they stem back to a deacon, all right? I've been so blessed. I've heard people talk about the nightmares of some of the deacons that they've had on their boards. I've been so blessed with really good deacons. But you know, there's, some, there's, there, there's a possibility that anybody can get off track there. But here's my point with that. So he went from being a pagan to being a Jew to being a Christian to being a secular Christian, which is a pattern in the world today. Many Christians in times past are now becoming more secular Christians than there are Christian. And by that, I mean that, the, that you're, you're having a harder and harder time being able to distinguish their version of Christianity from the world's version of just living. They're so secular in their mindset. Okay, don't need that. Don't need that. Uh, result was very bad for this particular man and the people that he influenced. So, you know, whereas Jesus has had Judas the early church had Nicholas, who started off good, ended up off track. Uh, and so I want you to get this. The heart can be deceived. Never forget that. The heart can be deceived. So keep your heart focused on the Lord. Let him be the center of your desires. So, all right, so back to these, the good guys. <clears throat> At least three of them, probably being Hellenistic Jews, uh, brought to the table maybe some different ideas, different views, different way of thinking about it. They're, you know, I mean, the reality is, is they're trying to minister to a large group of people out there and how better than to get some different ideas from different ways. And so not only is there the Hellenistic Jews and the traditional Jews, but there's about to be a third group called the Gentile Christians that are going to be coming in. So uh, being able to understand how we minister and how we can meet needs is good. The best teams are diversified. They are. I never want to sit with a group of people that think like I think. First of all, that's just a small pot. <laughs> if you think just like I do. I like when people think differently than I do. People that go, well, what about this? You know, when I brought the idea of the VBS in the park, I mean, everybody was like, what are you going to do with all the people that just show up? You know, my answer was real simple. 
I preached to them. But what about this? What about, and, and see, I like it. And all of a sudden I begin to think, okay, logistics, that could be a problem. Accountability, keeping up with people. Parents wanting to show up and just, you know, their kid went bicycling that morning, didn't come home. They show up and they're like, what are y'all doing with my kid? Who knows what could happen? But you know what? Lots of minds, lots of people thinking. I think maybe we're, we're, we're asking enough of the right questions that we can figure out exactly how to be prepared. That's what happens with diversification. But here's what I want you to get. These deacons, these deacons, and there's seven of them, right? But these deacons, much like the apostles, were not all the same. Some did more, stood out more, made a bigger impact maybe, lived more distinguished lives than the others did. But in your notes, you're going to see this right here. Our gifts and God's will determine our places, but our character and our service with distinction determine our history. God has given you gifts. He has a particular will for your life, and he puts you in a particular place at a time. But the next part's up to you, your character and how you serve. That's the impact. That's what's going to determine your place in history, what you did. So here's, what I, I, here's the thing. Two deacons rose to a really high level, Stephen and Philip. In fact, they actually get more scripture time and more uh, uh, what looks like a, a more impact than some of the apostles did. I think that's awesome. I think that, that when you're in this position, but the life you live and everything accelerates you to a place where, of notability, praise God. Because there's no, it, we're all in one team. It's all important. But though we do not know, and, and the, here, here, I really want you to tune in here. I'm just, a lot of this has been setting things in motion. I want you to get this. Though we do not know more, very much about four deacons, I challenge you to consider that they were the best deacons ever. And here's why. <clears throat> Stephen goes off and gets himself martyred. Philip gets used by God and ends up leaving Jerusalem. And Nicholas is going to go get off track. So who is it that actually did all the work? Who is it that two years, three years, four years later are actually taking care of the things that they were, that they were assigned to take care of? Yeah, those four guys. We don't know anything about them. They don't get any screen time or page time. And yet they must have done their job. Everybody, how many of you know the difference between headliners and fine print? Right? You know, a lot of times people want headlines. Headlines, look at me. Woo, I am the leader of this. I am in charge of that and whatever. But it's the fine print that gets the job done. And though they didn't get martyred and they didn't necessarily go off and serve in this capacity, whatever, you know what they did? They did what was needed. They did what they were asked to do. And they did it excellent. You know how I know they did excellent? Because everything kept going and got even better. And that's a sign 
uh, that, that you are really being a part and doing what you, you, that you're that cog that needs to be there and you are being the best cog there you can be is because things continue to move forward. Things continue to happen. That's what they did. And so I can't tell you one, I, I might even be butchering their names, but I can tell you this about the four guys. They did their job well. They did their job well. And something I would encourage you to remember. This sounds sort of morbid, but yeah, I like it. So I'm going to say it. Serve well and die fulfilled. Serve well and die fulfilled. That's my goal for you <laughs> and me. That leads us to the last two points. And they're just one-liners. The Bible says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Why did that happen? Because they did their job right. Because they filled the spot and they served well. The word of God continued to increase. More people kept coming to Jesus. Hallelujah. Folks, when you step in and do what it is that you can do, what somebody maybe has asked you to step in and do, you make things better. The success is not whether or not your name is, is, is shouted out from anybody's rooftop, but that the word and the work of God continues to do what it needs to, to, to change the lives of people. That's what's important. And then the last thing is, and a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. I don't know if you've ever just looked at that and thought, hmm, that's interesting. Sort of like an afterthought. It's not an afterthought at all. The beauty of this one line is it, is, it, is it helps us understand something. Okay, here's the early church. The early church is led by what? Twelve apostles. But then something happens. It gets big. It gets going. It's got so many moving parts. Something's not getting done. And what do they do? They form a new batch of second row of leaders, people that basically are not responsible for their preaching. They're not responsible for the Bible studies. What they're responsible for is getting things done that need to get done that's not been getting done. This group of deacons are this layer of servants to help leaders get what needs to get done done. Are you with me? Now here's the priesthood. The priests are over here. You know what they do for a living? Serve. That's what they do. They basically, you know, it might be lighting the candles. It might be putting out the showbread. It might be cleaning the blood up off of the offering, off of the altar. Whenever it's done, it, it may be doing this, that, and the other. But what, what they are really, really good at is serving whatever needs to be done. Whatever their assignment is, they get it done. They get it done. And then all of a sudden, here, these deacons are put in place to serve and to take care of things. Make sure the widows are taken care of. Take care of these little details of business. And all of a sudden, the priesthood are over here and they're going, wow, now I can see me serving. I can see me involved in this. And church is very important. And, 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 and I say this as I wrap up. There is room for everybody to serve. Everybody to serve. And when you get that in your head, there is a place for you. There is a place where you can make a contribution. You see, for whatever reason, the church has, has, has limped along. <coughs> Pardon me. The church has limped along 
because, well, we've got a pastor or a couple of pastors. We've got some deacons and elders, and they take care of this, and they take care of that. And then we've got a few suckers that teach Sunday school. I mean, we've got a few people that, that we have, have talked into teaching Sunday school, and we left them there for the last 20 years. The rest of us just get to come and sit. Wrong. Wrong. You have a place to serve. It may be once a month. It may be a big event like VBS. It may be every Sunday. But there is a place for every person with a heart to serve to serve. Don't limit yourself by thinking, well, if I don't sit in this pew, who's going to hold this chair down? It's going to stay there anyway. Would you stand? Thank you for your patience. I'll be quick in my prayer. Father, today you gave things for us to chew on. This has been some meat. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to not walk out those doors and not give more thought to what they've heard. Help us today to process these details determine victories. These details determine future success. And I thank you. Those who needed to hear have heard. And now, Lord, give them the courage to act upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God bless you.